About 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named John. And John went out into the woods, dressed like a crazy man. And he had one message, really. And it was, repent. Turn back to God. He went out, and Jesus, in fact, asked one time, um, do you... Do you why did you go out to see John? Did you go out to, into the woods to see a reed? No, you went to see somebody who was telling the truth. And John would stand out there and he would, he would section people out and say, Repent! Repent! And then one day, he was preaching his normal sermon and he looks and he saw Jesus walking up the hill toward him and he turned and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Everything that history had been driving toward was now happening. And here was Jesus, the Lamb of God. But Jesus didn't change the message. Jesus in Luke 13 preached, Repent or you'll all likewise perish. Repent. There's nothing complicated about the message that's delivered throughout the New Testament. It's just simply, hey, all you folks that are sinning, stop. And you can't stop on your own. And so lean on the power of God to change the way you're acting. And the truth of the matter is, if you try to do it by your own will, you cannot. But if you lean through the power and the finished work of Jesus on the cross, you will change. That's a sign of it. That's how we know that we're him. Jesus said, you say that you love me. If you love me, do what I said to do. Change the way you're living your life. And it seems like in the church today, the only real sin is claiming that anything's a sin. But the, the message of that Bible hasn't changed one bit. If we claim to be followers of Jesus and we keep living our lives the way that we want to, you're a liar in 1 John chapter 1. You're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Amen. The story is the same throughout the New Testament. In today's story that we get to 1 Samuel, it's the same in the Old Testament. And so if you remember where we were, what had happened was is the children of Israel had gone up to up against the Philistines. 4,000 of them had died. And so somebody came up with a plan. We're going to keep doing things the way that we always did it. And we're going to throw God into the mix. And that's going to change everything. And so they grabbed the Ark of the Covenant. And they marched it out. And 30,000 people died. And the Ark of the Covenant got captured. And we saw. God is not going to honor it if I just think I can do whatever I want to do and throw a Jesus fish on the back of it. God's not going to be in it if I just live my life Monday through Saturday any old way I want to and then show up on Sunday and sing praise songs. That's not going to work. And that's exactly what the children of Israel tried. And God showed them very well that that's not acceptable. And so we ended last week in this sad, sad statement. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, 
a long time passed, some 20 years, and the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. They cried after the Lord. They had emotions for 20 years. They cried, God, what's going on? Why won't you help us? And we talked about last week about how Oftentimes in our lives, the way that the enemy will attack you is not in something spectacular, not in some, you know, Satanist with Ouija boards and and craziness, but Satan will attack you by grinding you out day after day after day. So for 20 years, something was missing. For 20 years, they lamented after the Lord. God was still in their thoughts. God was still a part of their lives. But it was, for all practical purposes, just a show, just a game. And so Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherah, and they served the Lord only. Now notice, both times that we read that, we saw that word only. That tells me that they kept their Baals, and they kept their Asherah, which were just sex gods, and then they added to that God. They still did what they wanted to do, but then they said, but God, they knew something was missing. If anything is true, I believe with everything in me, from everywhere that I've gone around the world, people build temples. People know that there's a God, and they want to have a relationship with Him. They, the children of Israel knew who God was. They had the law. They had where God had exposed Himself and said, this is who I am. They knew all that, but at the same time, they still wanted to hang on to what they wanted. They still wanted to play games with their sin. They still wanted to say, God, they were lamenting after God. Lamenting is crying, weeping. They're lamenting after God. God, help us as a nation. We don't like the Philistines lording over us. We don't like the way things are. God, help us. But then they also had their Baals. They also had their Asherahs. They still wanted to do what they wanted to do. As I researched and studied what exactly an Asheroth was, it was, it's a crazy, it, it's so vulgar, their worship practices, that I can't even talk about it in mixed company. Just suffice it to say, it was an orgy. You'd go get drunk and have sex with everybody, and that's the way they worshiped. Now, the Israelites were not willing to put that aside. They still wanted to do that. The Baals, they, that was just other gods that they, that they were running after. They wanted both. They wanted to live their lives the way they wanted to and then also wanted God. And for 20 years that went on. And it didn't work. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we approach this text, Lord, we need to hear from you. Oh, God, we need to hear from you. Lord, I've prepared 
studied this text. I know what, what it says. But God, if your spirit doesn't come crashing down on us, it's for nothing. God, we don't want just to have another experience. God, we just don't want to have a bunch of emotions where we're lamenting. God, we want to have an authentic, real encounter with you. And God, we can't conjure that up. So Lord, we pray that you pour your spirit out. Lord, I pray that even now you look in the deep, dark recesses of my heart. God, I confess my sin to you. I want to do what I want to do. And God, that's so sinful. So Father, we pray that this morning you teach us. You promised your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. So we pray that you teach us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Samuel says to them, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered at Mizpah, and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. I've had people before come to me and sometimes it just seems like they want to to we, we have all these funny names you know I, I I had a more when when politicians get on the television they won't say you know what I had adultery they'll say well I had a, a, a moral miscalculation they'll say something along those lines and, you know people do the same thing I've had people come and sit in my office and say you know I, I just I, I wasn't thinking clearly I made a mistake. And I will almost always say, okay, you need to call it what it is. It's sin. In fact, in the, in the book of 1 John, when it tells Christians, the Bible tells us how to deal with their sins, it says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word confess is agree with God that what you're doing is sin. That's the first step. Telling God, hey, this thing that I'm doing that I'm not supposed to be doing is sin. It's wrong. It's evil. It's wicked. And that's hard sometimes for us to do. We don't want to do that. We want to come up with excuses. We want to explain to God. See, you don't understand. This particular thing was, uh, you know, it was just one of these kind of circumstances. Now, we don't do that for other people. If somebody else does, I, I've joked before that when I, the way that I witness to people is I, I, I will say, so have you ever told a lie? And they'll say, um, yes, I have. And I, what do you call a person who tells lies? And almost always they'll go, normal, human, like everybody else. But if I say, what would you call me if I told you a lie? And immediately the answer will come back, oh, liar. We don't want to admit that our sin is sin. Now see, the beauty of this is, is I don't know what your sin is. But you do. And it, it would be real easy for me to sit here and just assume that you all struggle with the same sins I would. There are people in here who struggle with worry. That is not my, my area. In fact, I struggle with the opposite side. Yeah, it's going to work out. Some of you in here, you struggle with money. That's all you can think about. 
And I'm not saying that you struggle with money and that, hey, I want more, more, more. I don't think there are many of, that, of us in that realm in here. You got that bill due on Wednesday and payday's not until Friday, and it's all you can think about. There's some of you in here that you, you struggle with lust. I tell people, um, men, when I'm, I'm counseling them, almost every man I've ever met struggles with two things on a regular basis, lust and anger. We, men, am I lying? That we can, we can get upset pretty quickly if somebody does something that we don't like. And we can lust. I, I was sharing with the men's group that I've literally before been studying my Bible, sitting on a park bench, and had a lady walk by. And the, where my mind went, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm sitting here studying the Bible. Really, God? So I don't know what your sins are, but you do. And the whole thing, the whole difference between Christianity and all the other religions that, that are out there is this. All the other religions that are out there say, here's a list of things you must do and what you can't do. Now work the list. Every other religion, including some forms of Christianity. We have a list. Work the list. You got to do this, 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 and this. And you got to do this, this. Don't do this, 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 and this. And if you do this list, then you, you go to heaven. Christianity, biblical Christianity says, none of us can work the list. We can't follow our own moral compass. We know when we sin that it's wrong, and yet we do it anyway. And so the children of Israel here are not just sinning a little bit, they're blatantly sinning, but at the same time, they're defaming the name of God by showing up in church, if you will, and trying to add God to it. So Samuel calls them to Mitzpah. They come there together. And they finally, they finally say, hey, what we're doing is sinning. And then they act on it. They put aside their Baals and their Asherahs. Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mitzpah. And when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered Mitzpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. So they, they hear that there's a crowd there, and they all go out. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel sacrifices a burnt offering, and Samuel cries out to the Lord for Israel. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, He's literally offering it up. The Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. In fact, as we read to the rest of the, rest of the story, we see that the Philistines were pretty much done. This was their Waterloo. They were always going to be around a thorn in the flesh, but this was the last time that they could say, the children of Israel are, are, are our slaves. And you notice that Israel didn't do nothing. They didn't have to fight. Now what I want us to do for just a minute is juxtaposition, compare and contrast what they did the first time and what they did the second time. What they did the first time was they came up with a plan. And then they added God to the plan. The second time, they dealt with themselves, and then God worked his plan. You see, 
God doesn't want us to be the smartest people in the world. God doesn't want us to be the best-looking people in the world. And some of us have got that covered. God doesn't want us to be the richest people in the world. God doesn't want his church to be the best prepared, the best planned. God wants his people to be holy. He cares about our character. He cares about where our heart is in relationship to him. You see the difference between the two? The, in one case, the Israelites go out and they're like, we got this. And oh yeah, let's add God. And they lose 30,000 people. The second time, they're on their face saying, God, we need you. God, forgive us. Samuel, pray to God. Oh, what's going to happen? They're dependent on God and then they don't even have to raise a sword. God sends thunder down. Would you remember the whole story with their God? Bowed down before the Ark of the Covenant. Remember what he was one of the things he was the God of? Weather. And so God says, y'all like weather, I'm going to send you some weather. And so God thunders and sends them into utter confusion. And God wins the day. Now, in the first story, if the Israelites had won with their plan, who would have gotten the glory? They would have, right? They had a good plan. They worked their plan. As I read this story that we read today, where the Israelites are on their knees and God works, who gets the glory? We don't even know who the generals were. We don't know any names of soldiers or anything. All we have is a 40-year-old man Offering a lamb and praying. That's all we got. God's going to work out circumstances so that he can receive the honor and the glory. If we make it about us, we make it about me, we make it about anything else. Even if we make it about North Glencoe Baptist Church, God's not getting the glory. But if we make our lives completely and totally wrapped up in him, he gets the glory. Right? And so, in the first story, I see Israel utterly failing in their own power. And in the second story, I see God utterly being victorious. So Samuel took up a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, until now, the Lord has helped us. And the word Ebenezer, uh, Mark was asking me because we sang the song, Here I raise my Ebenezer. He came saying, what exactly is an Ebenezer? It comes from two Hebrew words, Eben and Ezer, and it, it means uh, a, st- a rock of help, a stone of help. And so I've always uh, heard, heard that and used that. In fact, we have a rock of Ebenezer here at the church. If you walk right outside of this door, we have a stone of remembrance to remind us to pray for the missionaries that we support, that we send out. To remind us to pray for them. And that rock is right out there. And a couple of you have tripped on it and said, hey, let's get rid of this rock. And I'm like, no, wait, that means something. And, and so I've always just thought that, that all that was going on here was that Samuel put a rock up in a field and said, all right, now whenever y'all see that, remember that it was God was victorious. 
But in do, just looking at it that way, all these years, uh, we missed something. Or I've missed something. Maybe all you guys knew this, not just me. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, it says this. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and they encamped at Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped at Aphek. And the Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and the battle spread. Israel was defeated before the Philistines. So the first battle, the name of the town that they were in, that they lost so badly, was Ebenezer. Ebenezer was the town that the Ark of the Covenant was taken in. And so when Samuel puts this rock up and says, God is our rock of help, and calls it Ebenezer, it certainly was there to remind them of the great victory, but also remind them of a great defeat. 34,000 in total is Jewish soldiers died because they did it wrong. Now, we talked last week about how it's so easy. I would say one of the most common things that I hear from other Christians, and let me just be real with you here as your pastor, one of the most common things that I feel is day by day by day by day, it just gets hard. It gets hard to fight the good fight. It gets hard to read my Bible and be in the Word every day. It gets hard to do the things that I know I'm supposed to do. And sometimes it gets old, and it feels stale, and it feels like, ah, we're just playing church. Am I, am I just alone in that? Am I the only person? Y'all are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Am I the only person that feels that way? The difference we see between the first time and the second time, the only difference really is that God is broken in. It's not in their power, not in their strength. Now they did some things. They set those Asherahs and those Baals aside. They got rid of the sin that they knew in their life. They confessed it as sin. They said, God, we've sinned. And then once they let go, then God could rush in and take over. Is there any other thing that that should remind you of? I've titled the sermon, The Gospel According to Samuel. Because isn't that how we all got saved? Isn't that how we all came to the Lord where we said, God, I've sinned. I can't do this anymore. And we're on our face before God and we say, oh God, I need you to do the work. I need the work that you did on the cross to be my justification. And yet, we think that because we had to do that in, in, for our salvation, that at that point, then we take over. Now it's me to work, right? Isn't that how we present it all the time? That, okay, God's going to save me, and, and I, there's nothing I can do about those past sins. And so God, I say, please save me. And then God saves me, and then now it's on me. i got to work this out. i got to do what i got to do, Right? But don't we need God just as much for that day-to-day -day battle as we did when we got saved? To put it in theological terms, don't we need God as much for our sanctification as we do for our justification? I can't do anything to make myself clean. 
I can't do anything to make myself better. I can't do anything to change my bad attitude toward my kids. I can't do anything to change my bad attitude toward money. So I want to raise, just as the Israelites raised up that stone and called it after the town of their defeat, we too as Christians in our day-to-day fight need to look to our Ebenezer, the cross of Christ, and say, I can't do it today. Oh God, I need you today to thunder over my head as I go through this week and scatter my enemies. God, I need you to work because if I'm trying to do the work, I'm never going to do it. It's never going to work. We can't do it on our own. That's why we need a cross. Savior. And so this morning I ask, let's look to our Ebenezer. Let's look to the cross. And if you in your day-to-day struggle, in your day-to-day Christian walk, if day after day after day you're trying to do the work, I ask you to do the same thing as these Israelites did. Fall on your face and look to the cross and say, God, today I can't do it. I pray the sinner's prayer every day. Oh God, I know that I'm a sinner. Oh God, I know there's nothing good in me. God, I pray that you save me. My enemies have surrounded me. My enemies are longing for my blood. You see, beloved, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. And our enemy hates us. He hates us because we're made in the image of God, and he hates God, and he hates us because we're his. And so he wants nothing more than to destroy you, and you have no authority over him on your own. And so I plead with you, let's follow the examples of the 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 children of Israel here let's fall on our face and say God I can't do this on my own I need you to thunder in the heavens God I need you to confuse my enemies God I need you to rise up and be a warrior and defeat my enemies God I pray that you give me the strength today to be the man of God that you called me to be God I pray that you give me the strength to live the life I know, know that you've called me to live And then every day, every day we approach God in that vein. Every day we realize that it's Him, not me. Father God, as we come to this time of invitation, oh God, forgive me for how often I've tried to do things in Tom's power. God, forgive me for how quick I am to come up with a plan. God, forgive me for how many times I've tried to pastor in my own power. Forgive me for how often I jump off the altar and run away. Oh God, I pray that you give us a church as a church the strength to look to our ultimate defeat and say we can't do this. And that we surrender all to you. Lord, these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.